Welcome back, Brown Girls. I'm Ashanti Golar, the founder of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, and this is Season 5 of the podcast. We're still talking about the election, and on the day we recorded this episode, Vice President Joe Biden was close to clinching enough electoral college votes to become President-elect Biden. And we know with President-elect Biden, that means we have Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. Together, I believe I am that candidate. We have to bring justice back to America for all people, and not just for some. I spent my entire career- I was so happy that I was able to have Jamia Wilson join me to share some black girl joy about this historic occasion. Jamia is a feminist activist, writer, and speaker. She has been a leading voice on women's rights issues for over a decade. Her work has appeared in numerous outlets, including The New York Times, The Today Show, CNN, and many more. I hope you enjoy this episode. So we are recording this the Friday after the election. So things haven't been called yet, but we're pretty sure we're going to know how this race is going. And it is going to lead to us having the first woman vice president and that woman being a black woman, an Indian woman. And I have with me today here to talk about it, Jamia Wilson, who is everything. Google her. I mean, you're all going to hear about her in the intro, but Jamia, thank you for joining me. How are you feeling? Because I got all the feelings. My champagne is in the fridge, chilling. I can't wait. I can't wait. I am elated. I think the only thing that is really holding me back is feeling like I'd always imagined that I'd be dancing in the streets when we got this news. <laughs> like I really, our liberation celebration, I feel like I need my liberation celebration. So my only sadness is about COVID-19 limiting the level of hype and party that this moment deserves. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to see Kamala Harris make history um, for women, for Black women, for women of color, for Indian women, and also just to have competent who have a heart in the people's yes, house and, and to take our country back. So important for me, just throughout the campaign when Vice President Biden, President-elect Biden was just talking to people, I'm like, this is just so refreshing. And during the debates, when he looked right into the camera and spoke to people, I knew I had missed that, but I didn't know, no, 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 how much I had missed that. And I'm just looking forward to waking up every morning and not having to worry about what foolishness is Donald Trump going to do today. I'm just so excited. So I'm wearing my Stacey Abrams shirt today because she is the MVP in Georgia, everything that she has done. And I do want to talk about the voters. But first, we got to talk about how the 53% is now the 55%. The Karens really Karens. And they expanded their Karen majority. Like 55% of white women voted for Donald Trump. This did not surprise me. I'm not surprised at all that this is where we are. So would love to kind of hear from you when you saw the 55%. Were you shocked? What's going through your mind? I'm so sad that I expected this 
and I spent a lot of time kind of feeling the level of guilt around expecting this and becoming numb to that level of betrayal that we as women of color know, expect, and have to experience again and again. And just was understanding that patriarchy is a drug and white supremacy is a drug. And so it's been rough to really think about how complicit this majority of white women are and that they're accomplices to this kind of terror. They're accomplices to having a lack of empathy for other marginalized people and not really seeing themselves in the reality of being marginalized people, even despite what's happening on the Supreme Court, even despite us having multiple sexual predators on the Supreme Court and one in the White House. So for me, it's, it's really hard. I, I wrote a piece in 2017 and the headline for it was, it's complicated, white women, white men, and white supremacy. And I have thought about it a lot with this and thought about this history from the plantations to now of this covenant uh, around how white supremacist patriarchy really needs white women to continue to have it fueled. And Mm. that's the thing that I think I have a lot of grief about that they're, despite them enduring all of the same kinds of misogynistic uh, realities that women face around the world, obviously with their privilege as a part of that, um, there's still this idea that rejecting white supremacy is going to push them away from the privileges and power that they do have. And um, it's easier to accept that to maintain what positioning they have over us who are not covered by that, who are not protected by that. And so it's a little bit chilling to me. And when I think about people who've defied this over 50% of people like Heather Hare or Viola Liuzzo, that those women were made martyrs, that they dared to defy the white patriarchy and paid the price with their lives. Yeah. So it's something I think about quite a bit because I, uh, I have a sense of understanding about how conditioning led to that. And that by no means means that I'm caping for anyone, but to say that they also really need to recognize that that white supremacy patriarchy depends on them to go forth. And even um, Richard Spencer and the Charlottesville, the, the language that they used around the invitation to Charlottesville had language in it calling on white women. They recognize that we need you to continue to serve your role for us to prosper. And for me as a black woman, I'd think, oh, if you know, if black men in a different power dynamic of a world were to do that, I would stop that right there because I'd be right. subordinate in it. But the fact that white women are saying, oh, I'll take those crumbs, <laughs> you know, in order to still be over these other people, that's the part that still sits really painfully with me and that we need white women to change it, that this is not our job to fix but white women really need to come even harder for theirs. Yes, absolutely. And I don't want y'all, don't at me. We're not saying all white women. We're saying some white women, so don't at me, but the numbers aren't lying. And when you're talking about Charlottesville, one of the things I was telling people is the images that we saw was mainly of men marching But I reminded people, these men go home to wives, daughters, fiancés, nieces, aunts. There are women in their lives who cook them a nice meal before they went out to spew their hate. And I was doing a speaking engagement post-2016, and someone said to me, Ashanti, 
do you think that this is going to lead to the Republican Party recruiting more women to run for office? Is this part of their game plan? I said, no. I was like, white male supremacy, the white male patriarchy does not exist on the votes of white men alone. These women are voting to protect their husbands, their sons, their way of life. And we only saw it get bigger over the past few years under Trump. And I was looking at the youth voting numbers and the group that still overwhelmingly voted for Trump was young white men. And that scared me because I sat back and I said, they have absolutely radicalized a new generation of white men. So when we think about, oh, because Trump is out of office, Trumpism is going to go away. That isn't true. We're going to see the aftermath of this for quite a while. But at the end of the day, we know this country was founded on racism. And racism exists in this country every day. It's so sad. And I think what's happening right now, I've had you know a lot of people in my life say, I'm really depressed about what we are. And a lot of white folks who have economic privilege, have been the folks who've been saying this, that, oh, they're feeling depressed about the fact that more than half of the country is condoning this president and the values of this administration. And I've said, for those of us who've lived in bodies like mine, we've known that this is who that part of the population has been for a very long time. And you know, the, the response is usually met with kind of a wanting to gloss over it or explain it or to say, oh, they must be miseducated, they don't understand. And my viewpoint is, you've really got to do the work to escape the delusion or trying to soothe yourself because until you address it, until you acknowledge it, until you say, yes, I might really like hanging out with Uncle Joey, but he's really racist and toxic and misogynist, until you do that, we can't actually move forward with solutions and progress until you really stare it in the face, address it, and start to get to be in real solidarity. And I think that's really hard for folks. And I think we spent the last four years with a lot of people trying to gaslight and then also undermine legitimate complaints about what this kind of Trumpism um, supports and amplifies. So I'm just excited about this being harder to... So harder to undermine, harder to sideline that we can, right now, this is proof. Like you said, the numbers don't lie. Yeah. We, we can now get to work to say, see, we've shown you repeatedly how this is. Mm -hmm. And now that you know what you know, how do we do better? How do we change this? And I think that um, that's why a lot of people are shook right now because they really wanted to explain it through economic anxiety and all these other things. And we're saying, you know, Beyond that, 200,000 souls died, and they still showed up like this. Imagine that our democracy is a dashboard. The way it's going right now, lights are flashing, alarms are blaring, warning us that it's time to check our systems. That's why I want to tell you about the latest podcast from The Nation called System Check. On System Check, Host Melissa Harris-Perry and Dorian Warren sit down to diagnose and repair our malfunctioning political system. System Check is a weekly show that asks, what would it be like to break free from the oppressive systems that are holding us down? It is unapologetically rooted in progressive Black culture and politics. 
From the movement for Black lives, to the fight for climate justice, from the unjust immigration regime, to the unfinished voting rights struggle, Dorian and Melissa want to know, how are you living in, working around, smashing through, or recreating the systems that shape your life? System Check just launched. On the first episode of System Check, Melissa and Dorian talk to powerhouses Sherilyn Eiffel and Alicia Garza about the convoluted system of casting your vote. I love the dynamic between Melissa and Dorian and how they break down civic engagement in a fun and digestible way. I know you'll enjoy System Check too, so don't wait. Subscribe to System Check on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods for new episodes every Friday. With all the polls, you know, showing Biden ahead and everyone's like, Ashanti, it's going to be a blowout. And I said, this race is tied. They're like, what? I said, this race is tied. When Biden wins, he is going to eke it out and we're going to see how every vote counts. And they said, why are you saying that? I'm like, racism living every day in this country as a black woman they're doing their polling so they're polling the guy in michigan you know who's claiming economic anxiety and this is why he's voting for trump but they're not counting the 15 20 people from his family who he is also going to make sure he takes to the polls to vote as well and they're not being fueled by economic anxiety. They want four more years of someone telling them this is their country. They're the rightful owners. These people have come in and taken it away from you. Look at how I've recentered you. Think about what I can do with four more years. That is what these people are voting on. And I am very happy that it was rejected. It was rejected by a small part of us. But that small part does make me happy because it was us saying, we are going to elect the leader that we deserve. And this is not what we deserve. And that is a win for democracy. Because one of the first things I said after Donald Trump got elected is, we're about to see how fragile democracy is. And it's up to the American people to save it. So we know that it was black and brown people like young women, unmarried women that have handed this victory to Biden, but also victories up and down the ticket. What are some of the things that you're hoping to see over the next four years? My gosh, I want us to set a firm foundation to ensure as much as we possibly can that this does not happen again. Just, you know, do whatever we can right now to put things in place. What I don't want to see happen is a little bit of what happened um, in the first terms of other Democratic presidents of, you know, people kind of saying, oh, we want to, you know, make sure that we're trying to work as much across the aisle as we possibly can with Mitch McConnell still being in place where he is right now, already trying to strong arm deals that serve only him and to control things. We really need to go in and day one be making executive orders, doing direct progressive things, and obviously with strategy as much as we can, building with like-minded people who want to build, but also not spending so much time 
pandering to or coddling people who are completely away from our values, whether or not that has to do with party positioning or not. If somebody is supporting hate, if somebody is supporting an agenda that is autocratic and against uh, the democratic values, then we need to also um, put forth a hard line because I do think that if we don't want this just to be a four-year presidency also, um, we need to really do that. And I think we need to put a lot of support behind Kamala Harris, yes. who just made history, but I think is going to um, also be encountering a, a challenging terrain of Trumpism to be the first woman of color to be in that role as a VP. And I've just been thinking about how she had such a strong support system from Black women in this election and how that's going to need to be carried into the next four years. And then also us continuing to keep this engagement that we've had around people expanding their civic engagement, expanding their giving, expanding their grassroots mm -hmm. work. And I also hope that some of our sisters who are not Black women um, would take on some of the very hard work that Black women have been doing to carry the Republic so that some of our people can rest who have been yes. holding everybody <laughs> else, right? Like, I yeah. want Stacey Abrams to get to take a nap. Like, that yes. is something I really want to have happen. Um, so those are some things I've just, I've really been thinking about. I, I want us to also mend our relationships across the globe and rejoin the Paris mm -hmm. Accord immediately. Day one. Um, day, day one. one. <laughs> day one. <laughs> I, I agree with everything that you said. They have their hands full. They have their hands so full and we need to be there for our vice president. She's going to need it. We saw these attacks on the campaign trail during the primary when she was running during the generosity of VP candidate this stuff ain't gonna stop y'all. So we need to make sure that we are lifting her up and protecting her because there's also gonna be so many women who are gonna be inspired by her to run for office, knowing that they can be a DA, a Senator, Attorney General, Vice President. So we also gotta make sure that we're letting those women know like you can do this and there's gonna be women there rooting you on. So um, I'm excited about the next four years. I'm excited to see everything you have to say, Jamia, about the next four years. You're one of my favorite writers. You just put, you really put into words all the things I want to say. And I just thank you for joining us for this conversation and for me to be able to celebrate this Black girl joy with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is the highlight of my day. I'm so excited. Only thing needed right now is champagne and chocolate. Yes. For this moment. <laughs> and yes. I'm just really grateful for you and your wisdom and also this space. So for everyone who's listening right now too, when you hear this, know we are with you. We've got your back. I think that's so important. I think like you said about the Trumpism and all these things that are happening, those things aren't necessarily going to go away. So we have to remember each other in every step that we take. We have to be there for each other and um, recognize that we've got this together. It can only be done together. Absolutely. Until next time, Brown Girls. Thank you so much for listening. Please take time to rate and review wherever you listen to your pods. For more information, you can find us at www.thebgguide.com and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The BG Guide. The Brown Girls Guide to Politics podcast is produced by Wonder Media Network. 
You can find them at wondermianetwork.com. Until next time, brown girls. <laughs>